Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of America's 44th best president to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. The logical fallacy we're looking at this week is moving the goalposts, also known as raising the bar, changing the rules, or argument by demanding impossible perfection. So moving the goalposts is a really common fallacy, and it's something that I'm sure that if you've ever had an argument with anyone or been in an argument, you you have either done or had done to you. Because... Um, basically what it is, is when someone suggests that you need to uh, provide a particular piece of evidence uh, or present an argument in a particular way, and you do exactly that, but that isn't good enough for them. And then they just change what right. they're asking for. They're moving the goalposts. Right. So they they can sometimes specifically say, if you can prove this, I'll agree with you. And then you can prove it. And they... They yeah. move the goalposts and they change what they're asking you to look for. This is something which is extremely common in the Trump administration. So yeah. we've got a little bit of an epic Trump section this week <laughs> for that for that reason. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So our first example yeah. is from the Trump's birther years. Ah, oh, we remember them well. Yes. Yeah. Back in back in those days when he used to believe that, and I'm sure he doesn't anymore. So on the Today Show, on April 7th, 2011, uh, Trump said this. I would like to have him show his birth certificate. And can I be honest with you? I hope he can. Because if he can't, if he can't, and if he wasn't born in this country, which is a real possibility, I'm not saying it happened, I'm saying it's a real possibility, much greater than I thought two or three weeks ago, then he has pulled one of the great cons in the history of politics. So 20 days later, on April 27th, President Obama did exactly that. He made his long-form birth certificate <laughs> public. And that this was exactly the proof that Trump was asking for to, to show that he was born in the US. But yeah. that wasn't enough. And Trump moved the goalposts. He wasn't convinced. He continued to claim that mm -hmm. Obama was born in Kenya. And uh, he called the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer and said this. There are many people that do not believe that birth certificate is authentic. So, again, he's he's throwing in a bit of a, an argument from popularity there as well. Yeah, that's his, his favourite thing, is to kind of conjure up these, these people who know stuff and advise him. And many people have said, I think I'm beginning to think they're the voices in his head, <laughs> the, yeah. the many people. And, and then a few months later... Um, he he kind of doubled down on this and tweeted, an extremely credible source has called my office and told me that at Barack Obama's birth certificate is a fraud. Nothing more came of that at any okay. point. What's interesting in it, the very first bit, he says, I want you to, to show the birth certificate. And then he says, it's a real possibility. You get the sense that even if we do show you the birth certificate, you're not going to be convinced. Yeah. He's kind of, there. there it is already in there the possibility that he is going to move the goalposts because he's saying, you know, it, it's, a, it's not just a possibility that he was born uh, not in America, 
But a real possibility, well, it isn't. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a possibility. He was kind of like, everything is a possibility at that point to have seen some evidence that suggested that right. it was more likely that Obama wasn't born in the US. He never came out yeah, with okay. any any evidence. Um, no. And and as I said, what he what he asked to see, Obama produced. Later on, in fact, Trump took credit for ending the birther conspiracy, which he claimed Hillary started. Oh, yeah. Because he took credit <laughs> for the fact that he was the one who got Obama to provide his birth certificate. Produce the, so, yeah, yeah. There you go. Despite the fact that he, even though he got him to do it, he thought it was a fraud. Not only did he think it was a fraud, and many people told him that it was, including a credible unnamed source. Absolutely. God, I hate him. <laughs> So uh, that was a pretty good example of um, asking for specific evidence and then not being happy with the evidence when it's presented. Another way that moving the goalposts works sometimes is uh, not necessarily when you're asked uh, to provide evidence or asked to to answer a claim, but actually when you're making a claim. If you make a claim Mm. and then that claim is disputed, then you can move the goalposts by pretending that you actually meant something different or that that wasn't really what you were saying. And we have a good example from Trump of doing this as well. He hasn't done many press conferences in his presidency, but he did do one in February 2017, and it was pretty insane. <laughs> um, one of the is things this, is this part of the reason why he doesn't do them anymore. It's possible, yeah. Um, one of the things right. that he said during that uh, was was a and one of his typical boastful claims. People came out and voted like they've never seen before, so that's the way it goes. I guess it was the biggest electoral college win since Ronald Reagan. That's not true. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> not by a long shot. And later on in the press conference, NBC reporter Peter Alexander challenged him on this specific thing. And in the ensuing exchange of, of kind of counterpoint and point, Trump managed to actually move the goalposts three times. So wow. this is sometimes it's a little bit difficult to hear Peter Alexander in this um, clip, but you can hear Trump's responses to him. You said today that you had a big electoral margin I'm talking about Republican. Yeah. Well, no, I was told, I was given that information. I don't know. I was just given. We had a very, very big margin. Well, I don't know. I was given that information. I was given, I've actually, I've seen that information around. But it was a very substantial victory. Do you agree with that? So <laughs> Alexander pointed out that not only was it not the, the biggest uh, electoral college win since Reagan, it wasn't even as big as Obama's. Um, in fact, either of Obama's. Yeah. <laughs> and so Trump said, yeah. well, I'm talking about Republican wins, obviously, not not right. you know, not Democrats. And so Alexander pointed out that Bush had a higher electoral college margin than him. And then... Trump changed, moved the goalposts, changed the rules and said, oh, well, you know, I was told it. And then it changes to I've seen that information around. So it's just it's not true. It's wrong information. But because he'd seen it around somewhere and someone told him it's okay for him to say it. Exactly. Because he believes it. And yeah. And then he finally changed it to say that actually it was just it was a very substantial victory and and asked Alexander if he agreed with that, at least. So which is completely different to what he was originally claiming. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't a very substantial victory. By what measure? Yeah, exactly. Compared with the previous victories by previous Republicans and previous (laughs) Democrats, not very substantial. You know, compared with naught, 
maybe. But yeah, there's a very interesting bit where um, Alexander in there says, so why should Americans trust you when you accuse the information they receive of being fake when you're providing information that is fake? Yeah. There it is, right there. Absolutely. You know, there it was, right, right at the beginning. He's going, why should... So there he's uh, belly aching about <laughs> fake news and fake information and people making stuff up. And they've got the measure of him straight away. Well, this they, is, yeah, well, this is well, a month we, into his presidency, so... Yeah. Yeah, it didn't take long. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, no wonder he doesn't have any more press conferences. I think pretty much... That was part of the reason he shut them down, wasn't it? Because people would ask him awkward questions to which he had no answers. Well, you know, he doesn't like please, to prepare. He's or be. So, so that oh, means really? if you, oh. if, and if you're going into a to a press conference where actual journalists are going to ask you actual questions yeah. that you might have to come up with yeah, answers yeah. to on the spot, you don't yeah. think too well yeah. on your feet, and you don't like preparing. <laughs> it's never going to go well, is it? No, so. no. Because you know, yeah, you're literally going into the lion's den naked. Yeah, you know, not, not and literally. Kind of. No, no, no. That's unfortunately. Yeah, no. So, <sighs> I wish it was. <laughs> yeah, metaphorically going into the lion's den, completely unprepared. Yes. You know, wondering he doesn't even know there are lions in there. No, absolutely. So it was a bit of a uh, an eye opener for him, and he's he's had that ever since. He's been trying to control the room ever since purely on the basis that he is just the president well he used to be because he was donald trump and now it's you've got to show me some respect because i'm the president yeah 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 so yeah there are so many more examples in the Trump administration, <laughs> uh, we have to kind of skip yeah. over a couple quickly because we just yeah. can't we can't spend yeah. any time on them. Um, for example, yeah. collusion. Uh, uh, yeah, first, yeah. first of all, there you go. There were him and Giuliani were both saying that there was no collusion, yeah. uh, and then just recently they switched to saying uh, even if there was collusion, it's not a crime. Yeah. So that, which there wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So which that seemed to be because probably some information is going to come out that. There was definitely proof of collusion or proof collusion. of, yeah. you know, working with the Russians. Well, even more proof, I would say, than there already is. And so they had to change the rules. They had to move the goalposts and say, well, yeah, yeah. you know, collusion, If even if you could prove collusion, that won't do it. Yeah. And yeah. then there's the Stormy Daniels payments. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. First of all, Trump said on Air Force One that he didn't know anything about the payments to Stormy. Uh, and then... After that, he said he knew, but only after Cohen made the payments with his own money. And then he admitted reimbursing Cohen. Most recently, after Cohen stood up in court and said that it was a campaign finance violation and it was done at the direction of Trump, then Trump admitted that he had paid it, but said that he used his own money and therefore it wasn't a campaign finance violation. So it's moved all the way from not knowing anything about the payments... To directing and making the payments himself with his own money. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Moving on to possibly the biggest example of this, which is the the Trump Tower Russia meeting. Yeah. And this involves quite... I mean, I think you've described it as as goalposts on wheels. Um, Exactly. (laughs) They're they're hurtling from side to side in the end zone. And it's not only is it on wheels, it's got a V8 engine powering the wheels. So this involves around uh, 18 months so far of of changing stories, 
from all members, or a lot of members at least, of the Trump organisation. So if we start back in December of 2016, when uh, Kellyanne Conway said this on TV. Did anyone involved in the Trump campaign have any contact with Russians trying to meddle with the election? Absolutely not. And I discussed that with the president-elect just last night. Those conversations never happened. That's fairly clear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no contact Absolutely between uh, Russians trying to meddle with the election and the Trump campaign. Uh, Trump agreed with that. He told reporters in January of 2017 that there was no contact with Russia leading up to or during the campaign. On uh, January 15th of 2017, Mike Pence said this. Did any advisor or anybody in the Trump campaign have any contact with the Russians who are trying to, to meddle in the election? Oh, of course not. And uh, I, think, I think to suggest that uh, is to give, give credence to some of... Uh, of of these, um, of these bizarre rumors that have swirled around the candidacy. He said, in fact, that the bizarre rumor could only be attributed to media bias. Ah, right. So okay. they're, they're all fairly clear. That's all within a space of, of one month, yep. and they are all singing from the same hymn sheet there. They're all saying, yeah, there was absolutely no contact between Russians and the Trump campaign, and anyone who says otherwise is is wrong, they're lying, they are biased, and it's just bizarre rumours. Um, March 18th of that year, Don Jr. told the New York Times, right. he was asked if he met with people that were Russian. He said, did I meet with people that were Russian? I'm sure, I'm sure I did. But none that were set up, none that I can think of at the moment, and certainly none that I was representing the campaign in any way, shape or form. So the story's changed a little bit. Maybe, yeah, they did meet with Russians, but not because of the campaign and not in actual setup meetings, he's implying that it's just kind of, you know, maybe he bumped into a Russian at some point, and that's fine. Yeah, and chatted about stuff, yeah. but nothing to do with campaign things. Yeah. July 8th of 2017, the New York Times first reported the meeting yeah. at Trump Tower with a Russian lawyer who has connections to the Kremlin, arranged by Donald Jr., and including Kushner and Manafort. Um, Don Jr. responded... It was a short introductory meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children. Okay. So the story's changed again. This time, it was a meeting that was set up. There were definitely Russians there. There were other members of the campaign there, so he was doing it in representing the campaign. During campaign time, yeah. But it it was nothing. It was about adopting Russian children. It was about the Magnitsky Act. Yeah. The very next day... New York Times reported that, in fact, Don Jr. had been promised damaging information about Hillary before agreeing to the meeting. Don Jr. responded, in part at least, um, After pleasantries were exchanged, the woman stated she had information that individuals connected to Russia were funding the Democratic National Committee and supporting Ms. Clinton. Her statements were vague, ambiguous and made no sense. No details of su- or supporting information was provided or even offered. It quickly became clear she had no meaningful information. She then changed subjects and began discussing the adoption of Russian children and mentioned the Magnitsky Act. And he also added, My father knew nothing of the meeting or these events. Ah, so, right. Now it's a meeting where... They talked about the Magnitsky Act, but actually, after they'd kind of introduced themselves, the woman said that she had information about Hillary Clinton. He's implying now that um, that he went into the meeting not expecting to hear anything about Hillary and, and yeah. this nonsense, vague, ambiguous uh, stuff came out and, and they, they changed the subject and nothing happened. And definitely, Donald Sr. didn't know anything about it. 
and it was and it was vague and ambiguous. Yeah. And the, the phrase "individuals connected to Russia <laughs> were funding the Democratic National Committee yeah. and supporting Miss Clinton." And it's really vague and ambiguous to me. It seems like he included the fact that his dad didn't know anything about it, unprompted, to me. It's like uh, right, uh, okay. It's like yeah, um, yeah. You know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm definitely not robbing this place. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's so but, weird. But it's also it kind of it smacks of even if that well there you go even if there was collusion, uh, it, then it's not a crime. You know, if even if we did have this meeting, which we didn't. Because it, it was vague and ambiguous, and definitely not details of Russians funding the Democratic National Committee. Uh, uh, even if that was going on, Donald Senior didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know anything about it. So, yeah, no. A couple of days yeah. later, July eleventh, when he found out that the New York Times were about to do exactly this, Donald Junior mm-hmm. tweeted out the emails that led up to this meeting. The emails uh, Uh, said that they were offering incriminating information about Clinton, which is, quote, part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. (laughs) To which Trump Jr. replied, if it's what you say, I love it. (laughs) Okay, Which is quite different to what they said. Yeah, yeah. So this unexpected meeting that just some someone just thought I happened to talk about that stuff was because there were emails beforehand saying this is what we've got we'd like to talk to you about. Yeah, can we have a meeting? And, <laughs> we are Russian government people and we would like yes. to tell you things about your opponent. July 12th, President Trump gave an interview with Reuters where he reiterated that he'd only known about the meeting for the last couple of days. From July 12th to July 16th, Jay Sekulow, Trump's, one of Trump's lawyers, went on various shows and said in various interviews the initial misleading statement that the meeting was just a quick meeting about the adoption of Russian children was nothing to do with Donald. In fact, he said this. The president was not involved in the drafting of the statement and did not issue the statement. It came from uh, Donald Trump Jr. So that's what I can tell you because that's what we know. July 31st, the Washington Post reported that the uh, version of the statement that was released by Trump Jr. on July 8th was actually dictated by his father. (laughs) Right, yeah. The administration didn't immediately change their story to incorporate this. In fact, the Washington Post story was denied directly by Sarah Huckabee Sanders the next day, uh, who said Trump certainly didn't dictate, but he weighed in, offering suggestions like any father would do. For this meeting that you didn't know about. Yeah, yeah. So it's gone yeah. from not yeah. involved in okay. drafting the statement to weighing in and offering suggestions, but definitely, yeah, yeah. certainly not dictating. June 2nd, 2018, the Times published a, a letter from January 2018 from Trump's lawyers to Robert Mueller, conceding that the president did in fact dictate a short but accurate statement. <laughs> it definitely wasn't accurate, <laughs> issued by his son about the meeting. That was the statement where they said uh, they primarily discussed this, the adoption of Russian children. July 26th of 2018, Michael Cohen claimed that the president approved going ahead with the meeting in advance, contradicting denials of any prior knowledge by Trump's legal team. Now, I should say that this initially came to CNN um, from Michael Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, um, who has since said that he was one of the anonymous sources that gave CNN this story. And in fact, he isn't sure whether it was true or not. He was 
overstating the facts. CNN stand by their reporting and claim that, um, in fact, they, they corroborated it through other sources. Mm-hmm. So they still say that that's what Michael Cohen says. Uh, August 5th, Trump again denied having any advanced knowledge, but then sent out a tweet claiming that this was a totally legal meeting to get information on an opponent, something which is done all the time in politics. <laughs> so no longer uh, is it a short okay. introductory meeting about the Magnitsky Act. Trump yeah. threw his son under the bus and said, no, this meeting was, yeah. about, was to get information on Hillary and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> perfectly fine, done all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the, the same thing that... Uh, uh, collusion is yeah, is, collusion is not, not a crime. Not a crime. Not a crime. Yeah. So uh, we did, none of this stuff we did, even if we did, it happens all the time. Yeah. So over the course of a little wow. over 18 months, it's gone from no yeah. contact between the Trump campaign and Russia to yeah. uh, an, an organised meeting that was set up that involved several members of the campaign and, in, and representatives that were connected to the Russian government um, where they knew they were getting information against their opponent from Russians who wanted to to support Trump mm. in the election. Wow. That's some of the Trump goalpost moving <laughs> <laughs> that has gone yep. on. Yep, yep, yep. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. Uh, well, I'm glad we played Boris in again because it's another Boris example. <laughs> Um, and uh, so this is uh, similar to the to the uh, second example, whereby people are calling him out for what he's saying. So he's on an episode of Question Time in two thousand and seven, and the question comes from the audience. Uh, so Question Time is a, a British TV show, and it features um, politicians of the time and thinkers and social commentators. Um, who answer questions without seeing them beforehand from an invited audience in a TV studio. And it's hosted by a long-standing BBC TV presenter, uh, David Dimbleby, or is it Jonathan Dimbleby? One of the Dimbleby's. There seem to be many of them. Yeah, they're all very similar Um, to each other. They're all, they are. And there's like a a dynasty of Dimbleby's. And um, so this is about the ref... A (laughs) Dimbleby. Yeah. Yeah. Dinnerbleys, yeah. The, uh, so this is in 2007, and the question comes from the audience, which is about whether there should be a referendum about Europe. And I think it's about joining the European single currency. It's about time that the country had a referendum. We had the healthiness of a national public debate instead of the politicians squabbling over it. You're, you're completely right. And uh, one thing is for oh, ding dang sure. One thing is for ding dang sure. Gordon Brown will not yeah, deliver it. Which is the only party that has given us a referendum? The, on only, the only, the first party to promise a referendum on the yeah, euro to give was, one. was, of they course, mean. the Conservative Party. To give, uh, no, to no, give one. Not promise. There wasn't one. There wasn't one on March. There wasn't one on. I think the gentleman is completely right. We are long overdue a national debate when was about the, last one, Boris? the it was in 1975. And that's, it was okay. in 1975, which is too long ago. Okay. And it's about time but we had another. The Conservatives were in for 18 years after that. They well, never had a single one. Uh, not one. Not one. That's no argument for not having one now. <laughs> so there go. it's just brilliant, isn't it? He is the ding dang sure. Where He's does that ding come dang from? sure? Yeah. It's for ding dang sure. You kind of it's part of his his bumptious 
friendly, approachable, accessible, yeah. upper-class twit. I'm just a simple um, country public school boy. <laughs> exactly. I'm just one of the people. I understand exactly what you're doing. And you can't take me to task because I look ridiculous and that makes you laugh. Um, and I will say things like ding-dang-shaw. This is obviously in his days before he would chuck in some Latin. Um, so the, what's interesting is I think his goal at this in in answering this uh, question from the audience, saying, yes, we should have a referendum, and Gordon Brown, who was then the Prime Minister, having uh, taken over from Tony Blair, um, he's having a pop at Labour saying... Well, you see, the Labour Party, who are currently in power, they won't, if you could bet for ding-dang sure, they won't hold a referendum. And then uh, Dimbleby asks him, well, hang on a minute, which was the only party to have held a referendum? And it was the Labour Party in 1975. Um, and then Boris switches to, ah, well, the only party that's promised... So he does his little neat switcher. He's changed the rules. He was saying, who are the ones that would hold a referendum? Well, it won't be Gordon Brown and his party. Well, they, but, but they did. So, ah, well, we promised to. Yeah, but that's not the same. <laughs> and then Shirley Williams, who is a, a kind of grand dam of uh, the Labour Party, sadly no longer with us, um, she points out that the Tories weren't um, the only party to have given a referendum, and that the last one was by the Labour Party in 1975. So Boris moves the goalposts and says, well, if it was in 1975, it was too long ago. And then Shirley neatly says, yeah, but the Tories were in power for 18 years after that, and yet they didn't hold one. And Boris quite deftly um, moves the goalposts another 400 yards to the left, no, to the right, <laughs> and says, well, that's no argument for not having one now. So he's moved from... It, it, I can't keep up <laughs> with the mental gymnastics of what's going on. It's just... It's awful. And, and I, I think was, that's the I, thing about encountering this uh, fallacy in an argument, is it's so frustrating to be on yeah. the other side of it, because... You keep you keep knocking down your opponent's arguments, and and they just as another one pops up, it's like whack a mole. It's it's a difficult one to counter this because when people do it, they they do move the conversation onto another track, and it's difficult to get mm. it back. And really, the only way yeah. to to stop someone from doing this is to specifically say, "Well, no, you've moved on to something else. We we were talking about this. I was mm. addressing a point mm. you made." And I addressed yeah. it in this way. What do you think of that? And try and bring it back onto the track that you were on in the first place. So my next question is, so we talked about how do you kind of counter this stuff. Is it possible to do uh, what is ostensibly moving the goalposts in a way that isn't a fallacy? Because I know of uh, an example. Um, it's a famous example where... Uh, in ancient Greek mythology, so who knows whether it's true or, or made up, but uh, Plato defined a man as an animal, biped and featherless. And Diogenes, one of his students, plucked a chicken <laughs> and brought it into the lecture room and said, behold, Plato's man. Yeah. And, uh, and then Plato just said... Ah, right, with broad nails. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so basically what, what he's 
what Plato was trying to do is find a, uh, a simple definition of man and somebody had come... So basically he's kind of doing a scientific sure. uh, thesis. You know, he's saying, here's my proposal for what a man is. Diogenes comes in and goes, well, there you go, there's Plato's man. He goes, ah, uh, no, you see, they've got tiny claws, we've got broad nails. So he added that. So he did. He kind of kind of expanded the goalposts. I think there is a, a scope to clarify or improve your argument based on mm. um, objections. I think that's that's yeah. non-fallacious. If you make an argument, if you say something, and then someone points out a flaw in your argument, then mm. if you pretend that actually all the time you meant something different, that's fallacious. But if you say, oh, yeah, OK, I can see how that is against my argument. So, in fact, when I present this argument, I need to make it different. I need to change it and improve it. Yeah. So that that yeah. doesn't that flaw isn't still a problem, um, and that sounds like what Plato was doing there, really, in his in his yeah. second. And I and I think that's probably version. also um, scientific method, isn't it? So you you propose something until such time as people come along and uh, find a proof, yeah. or find an extra thing, yeah, to some that extent, disproves it's, that it's theory, about, um, yeah, uh, clarifying and, and honing um, mm. uh, an answer. And, and if you find flaws, if you find ways where it doesn't fit, then um, changing your approach and, and coming at it from a new angle. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's an interesting point. See on the wild side there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. One of Lou Reed's finest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was on the early acetate B side of the uh, of the first single. Yeah. It didn't it didn't chart? No. No. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the fantasy in the wild, uh, we like to look at the fantasy of the week uh, from a different perspective, from uh, a non-political perspective, uh, and often we like to bring in some pop culture. How can you not believe in evolution? I don't know, just don't. Look at this funky shirt! Thieves, I've studied evolution my entire adult life, okay? And I can tell you, we have collected fossils from all over the world that actually show the evolution of different species, okay? I mean, you can, you can literally see them evolving through time. Really? You can actually see it? <laughs> you bet. In, in uh, the U.S., China, Africa, all over. See, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, there you go. Huh. So now, the real question is, who put those fossils there and why? So Ross <laughs> has been trying this whole episode to convince yep. Phoebe that evolution is real. She, it's one of the things that she doesn't believe. Uh, and when he brings up gravity, she says that lately she feels like she's being pushed more than pulled down. Um, and uh, she, she um, doesn't actually specifically ask for evidence or ask for, for him to prove it. In fact, she's kind of not bothered by it. He's the one who's completely bothered that she doesn't yeah. it and he needs to prove it. So he presents her with this evidence. But rather than accepting, he, she accepts that the evidence exists, but then doesn't yeah. accept that it is evidence of evolution. 
Yeah, there was a bit when she when he said, you know, these have been found in China and Africa and you know wherever. I I thought she was gonna. I couldn't remember how what she said next. I thought she was gonna say, yeah, but what about Sweden? Yeah, <laughs> or. Yeah, what about Australia? But then she comes out and goes, ah. But the real question is, well, that wasn't the question in the first place. Was who put them there? And it, what the hell? Yeah. And it's a pretty, it is brilliant because it goes right to the end and then she kind of completely destroys him and then and then just dismisses it and goes, well, that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then says, yeah, there is yeah, a sense that see. she is I'll just trolling yeah. him through this whole episode. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, I have a, uh, I have an example as well. Um, this is a uh, a Monty Python sketch, and so it's basically set in a bookshop. And the customers come in, and he's, he's keeps listing all these books that can't possibly exist. Um, and he's gone through a whole list. Uh, and Graham Chapman is the buyer. And finally, his bluff is called when John Cleese, the shopkeeper discovers that he has actually got the book that he's asking for. No, 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 try me again. Uh, oh, I know. Uh, Ethel the Aardvark goes quantity surveying. No, 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 no. What? What? Ethel the Aardvark goes quantity surveying. Ethel the Aardvark... <laughs> I've got it! I've seen it somewhere! I need it! I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit. I don't have any money. I'll take a check. I don't have a checkbook. I'll take a black one. I haven't got a bank account. Right. I'll buy it for you. There you are. There's your change. There's some money for a taxi on the way home. There's your book. Wait, no, wait, no, wait. What, 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 what? I can't read. You can't read. Right. Sit down. Sit, sit, sit down. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Ethel the aardvark was hot. So there we go. So you ostensibly at the beginning of the sketch, um, he's gone in to buy a book, and you think that's his goal is to is to buy a book. But it, it transpires over the life of the sketch, his goal is to just drive John Cleese mad, <laughs> and um, by listing all these books, you know, with Charles Dickens titles but written by somebody else, and Cleese gets more and more. Uh, incensed by what's going on. So that looks like it's going to be the goal, and he thinks he's going to achieve that until the moment with the most, uh, you know, absurd title book, Ethel the Aardvark Goes Quantity Surveying. And then he says, he says, oh, yeah, no, we have got that. I know we've got it. Yeah, yeah, we've got it. So I'm calling your bluff, and I'm going to return to your original goal, which was to buy a book. So I'm going to get you to buy this book. So here's your book. Here's the one you've asked for. I've got it. Buy it. And then he says, uh, I haven't got enough money. He said, well, I'll, I'll take a deposit. No, I haven't got any money. So I'll take a cheque. I don't have a cheque. I'll take a blank one. I haven't got a bank account. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, right, I'll buy it for you. And then gives him all that. So he can't even um, set it. You know, the, the goalposts have moved so far. And then Cleese just goes, right, I'm going to buy it for you. And here's your change. Here's enough for a taxi to get home. And then he admits, I can't read. So, and Cleese even calls that bluff yeah. and uh, answers that movement of the goalpost by just sitting him down and reading it to him. Yeah, Cleese is kind of right. chasing the goalpost through the entire sketch, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. yeah, so it's also worth mentioning 
um, the Knights Who Say Knee from uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, who demand a shrubbery before they let King Arthur pass. And um, so Arthur goes, what, a shrubbery? Yes, a shrubbery. And um, so Arthur goes off and uh, comes back with it and then they move the goalposts. They don't say, well, we don't want the trouble. They, they say, we're not the Knights of, who say knee. Um, we're the name, the Knights who say eki, eki, eki for tang knee wom. Um, and so they have to set another task because they're not the Knights who say knee. Another um, shrubbery. They, another shrubbery, just slightly up there with a nice path in between. And to chop down a tree the tallest tree in the forest with a herring, at which point King Arthur just says, well, I'm not going to do that. That's just nonsense. And walks past, and they go, oh, go on. And they go, no, and they just walks past. So in a way, that's how he counters the, the movement <laughs> yeah, of the golf. He refuses to play saying, ball. Well, just, no, I'm not going to take part. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And but to be honest, I love that's the, not yeah, a the, terrible way to counter it because it mm. does take two. I mean, it takes two to argue at all, really. You have to take part yeah, in it. Yeah. But, but yeah, if you keep indulging the goalpost moving by addressing the new point that the person is making, exactly. then, yeah. then it will continue. Then, yeah. Uh, and if you say no, well, I'm not. Yeah, and you know, you've moved, you will just continue to chase. Yeah. yeah, you've moved on to a different point. I'm still on the point that we were on before, and and refuse to engage in the the new uh, idea that they have. Then yeah, that is one way of doing it. Yeah, and it would just just stop them and reveal them to be doing what they're doing. Reveal them to be the the face saving charlatan that they are, possibly. Or, or, uh, or just a petulant knight. So we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news. The game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. This is episode eight. Yeah. The score is currently it's six one nothing. Six one nothing because <laughs> Mark has not yeah. managed to guess a single one of these right, even though by pure chance, even though I he guess should have had at least did. two. But I think the I think the odds return to zero each time. Don't they? That's I true. Think, you know, yes, it's, uh, that it's, is it's one of those. It's that's the gambler's the fallacy, gambler's fallacy yeah. isn't it? There you go. Yeah. And I'm not falling for it, so I'm returning to zero each time. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I don't think technically yeah, yeah. your odds are they're... actually zero. I think that's not quite true, but um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. just seems like that. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's how I'm playing for it. It's kind of the opposite of the gambler's fallacy. I'm deliberately playing to lose. Okay. I have themed these quotes uh, on our previous episode, the uh, the argument from popularity. So these are things which many people say, according to Trump. Okay, yeah. So, according to the voices in his head, yes, yeah. So, is it number one? Many people have said over the years that I perform better under pressure than anyone they've ever seen. I've proven that over and over again. Or is it number two? Mm-hmm. I did a great service to this country by firing James Comey. A lot of people have said it, and you go into the FBI, and a lot of those great people working in the FBI, they'll tell you. Or number three. 
A lot of people are saying that without my tough stance on North Korea, the Olympics might not have even happened. I've heard many people say that. Okay. Well, I think the FBI one is true. Uh, um, um, Because that additional bit about going in there and talking to the people there and... Mind you, I've just that's just conjured up a room full of firefighters that he talked to once in a ranty way. Um, okay, number one, number one, work well under pressure. I've proven that over and over again. Mm. Okay, well, you see, I think. <laughs> see, the reason my reticence is, I think number three is one you made up, but because he's claiming the entire North Korean Olympics now. Is that that what he's doing there? I've heard many people say that. That's what he's doing. A lot of people saying, you see, these so completely Trump, they could all be true. Many people said over the years before, I've proven that over and over again. Oh, I want that one to be real. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go with number three you made up. Okay, so... You see, but that's... Yeah. So you think... uh, Well, let's go in order then. Uh, You think number one is real, that many people have said over the years he performs better under pressure than anyone they've ever seen. Yeah, Yeah. and he's proven it over and over again. He's proven it over and over again. And number one is... Real. Many people have said over the years that I perform better under pressure than anyone they've ever seen. I've proven that over and over again. He so does not perform well under pressure. The slightest bit of pressure. And he just completely falls apart. It's amazing. And he reverts the type. Yeah, he just, you know, he can't help himself being the racist bigot that he is. You know, it it just comes out. You know, he, he, when... Carefully scripted things are put in front of him in order to counter bits where he went off script. He still goes <laughs> off script because he can't he contain the. No, no, that yeah, that's fundamentally what it is. Wouldn't that be lovely if we if he just said, you know what, I'm going to have to give it up because I really can't cope. I've got I've been speaking to my therapist <laughs> and I've finally admitted. That it's the pressure of work. There's just too, too much. much yeah. You know, I thought it was going to be easier. Well, he did he say did. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, you also think that number two is real, um, that the FBI believe, or that Trump believes the FBI believe, I'd... that he did a great yeah. service in firing James Comey. And number two yeah. is real. And I did a great <gasps> service to this country by firing James Comey. And, excuse me, a lot of people have said it. And you go into the FBI, and a lot of those great people working in the FBI, they will tell you. So that means I'm right. You've fake news <laughs> for the first time. Wow. Yeah. See, I was on a roll from having sat the other side of the screen. Trump did not were, claim that uh, he saved the Olympics. It's very good, though. <laughs> A lot of people are saying, without my tough stance, the Olympics might not have... I've heard many people say that. He just... It's so right. I mean, that is just the essence of what he says because 
he's he puts in a lot of people have said something that I'm about to make up <laughs> and ju- justify my uh, doing something heinous and awful, and many people have agreed with that. A bit like when you watch a movie and the title comes up, and then in parentheses afterwards it says based on a true yeah. story, and you think, well. <laughs> What is it? I think it's what it's more like Fargo story? actually. That the at the beginning says right. it's based on a true story, but it is actually a complete fabrication. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. So they just he kind of put does these little things in parentheses that say many people will tell you. And that. Well, I'm so, stoked. I'm super happy about that's that. That's made Mark's that's week. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So podcast listeners, it's clear that I need your help to fool Mark. If you think you can make up a convincing fake Trump quote, then share this episode on Twitter, include your quote and the hashtag fallacious Trump, and I'll pick the best one and you'll be podcast famous. So it's time for the part of the show where we would like to talk about all of the crazy stuff that's going on in the Trump administration, but this week especially... We simply can't. So this part of the show this week, we're talking about one particular uh, story, and this part is called Lodestar is Not a Logical Fallacy. <laughs> because the story we're, we're talking about is, um, in fact, we're recording this on uh, Thursday the 6th of um, September, and, and just yep. today there was a, an op-ed in the New York Times which apparently, in fact, it was yesterday in the New York Times, so so we noticed it in the UK today, and um, it was uh, written supposedly by a senior member of the Trump administration. And it is talking about how people in the Trump administration are working against Trump. They are part of the resistance. It's in fact titled, I am part of the resistance, resistance inside the Trump administration. It, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, uh, probably we're not allowed to, but we'll we'll pick out some quotes and and uh, see what they have to say. So, yeah. it starts by saying, "I work for the president, but like-minded colleagues and I have vowed to thwart parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations." Uh, president Trump is facing a test to his presidency, unlike any faced by a modern American leader. The dilemma which he does not fully grasp is that many of the senior officials in his own, own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know I am one of them. So <laughs> <laughs> It's great. It's like, a, it's like uh, the voiceover for a trailer, it is. isn't it? And, it kind of, and you get to the end and there would be you know, a big helicopter shot of the White House and that this lone figure that's unidentified walking up the lawn, and, it, and you get this really gravelly voice going, I know, I am one yeah. of them. The general uh, track of this article is basically saying, um, you know, don't get me wrong, these that we've done brilliant things. This administration has achieved amazing things like um, re- deregulation and tax reform and, and more robust military. But it says these successes have come despite, not because of, the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty and ineffective. (laughs) Wow. So it doesn't pull its punches, really, does it? No, (laughs) but I quite like the... uh, He's saying we have done amazing things, bright spots, 
that the near ceaseless negative coverage of the administration fails to capture. Well, it's near ceaseless because the administration is exactly what he's describing. So it's it's near ceaseless negative because everybody's going, oh, my God, what are you doing? Stop. No, please. They're actually, they they are just covering what's going on and... They don't like it. Ceaselessly negative things. So it says, uh, yeah. meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants. His impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not news. This is stuff yeah. that we're seeing all the time. Um, it says, yeah, yeah. It says yeah. the erratic behaviour would be more concerning if it weren't for unsung heroes in and around the White House. I, I think that undersells how more concerning, concerning it is. Who? It's still yes, very, very yes. concerning. Would be more concerning. So some of those things were Michael Wolf um, kind of brought up, didn't he, about the erratic behaviour and the repetitive stuff and all that kind of thing. And it fits um, exactly with what and, we see of his public mm, behaviour. Mm, yeah. And in fact, it, yeah. it's clear that this op-ed was written by someone who has been in the administration from the beginning because... One paragraph says, given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process mm. for removing the president. Um, so it seems like this is someone who has, has not joined recently, but has been in, been there since mm. the beginning. Mm. Um, yeah. And a paragraph towards the end says, we may lo- no longer have Senator McCain, but we will always have his example a lodestar for restoring honour to public life and our national dialogue. Now, lodestar is an interesting mm. word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in one I'd not come across before. It's an unusual word, certainly. Yeah, um, yeah, I, one that would people would kind of identify as somebody using if they had used it before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so unusual. I have a feeling it'll be trending at the moment, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, yeah. But it's it has got people searching for which of the senior administration officials may have previously used that word. And um, one stands out. Right. Uh, and a, a White House uh, reporter called Tommy Christopher has has tweeted i think there was there was uh, another twitter user who also made a made a compilation but this one is has the most examples and it is of mike pence who's who used this uh, word um a number yeah. of times starting uh, way back in 2001 who continues to be the lodestar uh for those of us speaker uh, that the lodestar of the rulemaking process is that re- and so vigilance and resolve will be our lodestar that's going to continue to be a lodestar. Jack's lodestar. As our lodestar. Lodestar. It really was the lodestar. Given that it's quite an unusual word, in fact, a very mm. unusual word, and, and yeah. Pence seems to have said it quite a lot more than anyone else, I think probably has <laughs> ever said yeah. it. Um, it's definitely Pence, isn't it? Who's written this yeah. Yeah, article. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the, the the question then is what what's his motivation? Is he doing it to um, get himself on the right side of Bob Woodward's book as it's coming out? So he's uh, is he positioning himself to be the sensible alternative for where? Oh God, no, that's <laughs> not. I hope that happens. So is Pence doing it in order to? Otherwise, what's his motivation? I think, I think yeah. 
I think he is. I think um, it's he's. I mean, he's the one person who can't be fired by Trump um, if it does turn out to be him. He can kind of put pressure on him to resign, but equally, there's going to be pressure, and there is already, in fact, pressure on on senior officials that if they think this stuff, they should be saying it publicly, out loud, and mm-hmm. and invoking the 25th Amendment and trying to actually get something done. You know, it's a lot of people, many people are saying that um, this is a kind of cowardly way to go about it. And and by just basically claiming, you know, don't worry, there are adults in the room, is not really enough because yeah. Yeah. he's still president and this is still mm. a complete shit show. And yeah. the fact that supposedly there are, there are um, people just ignoring his requests uh, and that's okay isn't really mm. a great way of doing it <laughs> addressing no, the problem no. head-on is probably better and finally some things we really don't have time to talk about uh, trump was very sad about senator john mccain's death last week not because he has normal human emotions, but because it took some of the attention off him for a few days. He responded by ignoring reporters who asked him 11 times to comment on McCain's death and ordering the White House flag returned to full staff. All this was apparently because Trump was jealous of all the praise McCain was getting. Well, Donald, if you think dead people get all the glory, you know what you have to do. (laughs) Meanwhile, McCain seemed to spend his last days figuring out how best to piss off Trump after making sure he wasn't invited to the funeral, asking Obama and Bush to give eulogies and choosing an anti-Putin Russian dissident as one of his pallbearers, McCain wrote in a final letter to America, which included the words, we weaken our greatness when we confuse our patriotism with tribal rivalries that have sown resentment and hatred and violence in all the corners of the globe. We weaken it when we hide behind walls rather than tear them down. We were going to put a joke in here, but it seems right to let John have the last laugh. Veteran Washington reporter Bob Woodward has a new book coming out based on interviews with staff inside the White House. Several quotes have been making the rounds, including one in which John Kelly reportedly said of Trump after a meeting, he's an idiot. It's pointless to try and convince him of anything. He's gone off the rails. We're in crazy town. I don't even know why any of us are here. This is the worst job I've ever had. Kelly has since denied calling Trump an idiot. Which is kind of like when your girlfriend says, you think I'm fat, stupid and ugly. And you respond, I don't think you're fat. (laughs) Now, Mark and I have had an idea about this book, actually, because we both enjoyed Michael Wolff's Fire and Fury. And it has to be said that Bob Woodward is a little bit more well-respected, I think. A little bit more trustworthy. Certainly in the realm of um, taking presidents to task. And it sounds like from, from the... Quotes that have been released so far, it sounds brilliant. It sounds quite fun. So what we're actually going to do, especially for patrons, is uh, we are going to get each a copy of this book. We're going to read it and we will discuss um, maybe a chapter a week um, on the off weeks because obviously we've got a bi-weekly podcast here, so you're you're missing out. You're not getting an episode every other week. So those on those other weeks, we will release. Um, our discussion about um, a bit of that book over the course of, of several 
episodes uh, just for the patrons. So this isn't going to be in your regular feed. If you want to hear it, you'll have to go to patreon.com slash ftrump and sign up. Um, if Just pledge us a couple of dollars an episode and you'll get to not only have that, but also extended episodes of Fallacious Trump and, and other cool stuff and um bonus content occasionally and and so we're gonna we're gonna go through this whole book it's actually quite long it's about 400 and some pages so it might take us cool. a, a while <laughs> but um yeah but i think it'll be fun it's going to be like pulitzer prize winning book club yeah yeah kind of and um like and, if, every other week. and if people yeah. enjoy it when we finish who knows maybe we'll pick some other trump books to to discuss failed senate candidate Twice disgraced judge and noted paedophile Roy Moore is suing comedian Sasha Baron Cohen for $95 million, presumably on the basis that Moore's otherwise unblemished reputation was harmed when Cohen held a paedophile detector near him and made it go beep. I don't think Roy Moore has heard of the Streisand effect. Trump tweeted another rebuke of Jeff Sessions, this time for bringing charges against Republican Congressman Duncan Hunter and Chris Collins just before the midterms, saying, Two easy wins now in doubt because there's not enough time. Good job, Jeff. I bet Robert Mueller wishes Trump would stop obstructing justice just for a couple of hours so he can get some sleep. Florida Republican gubernatorial candidate Ron DeSantis got all racist dog whistly on TV last week when advising against voting for his African-American opponent, saying the last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. Republican claims that monkey this up is a total normal phrase that everyone uses and not racist at all, became a little harder to accept when it was revealed that DeSantis was a moderator for a far-right Facebook group that regularly featured racist memes. In one of his regular tweets about fake news, Trump added, when Lester Holt got caught fudging my tape on Russia, they were hurt badly. This is the first time Trump has claimed that NBC fudged the tape of his interview with Lester Holt 15 months ago, in which we all saw him admitting to obstructing justice by firing Comey because of the Russia investigation. Of, of the, all the people NBC could spend their CGI budget on, who would greenlight Trump? Nike released a new ad featuring kneeling NFL player Colin Kaepernick, and Trump fans are so pissed off that a black man who exercises First Amendment rights got to be in a Nike ad that they're destroying their sports, socks, shoes, shorts and other gear. These are the same people reminiscing about burning their now fabulously valuable original Beatles albums in 1966. Anyway, Nike doesn't care. They already have your money. Yeah. In fact, um, it reminds me of J.K. Rowling, uh, who, when because she's been quite vocally anti-Trump, and so some yeah. um, Trump aficionados have been uh, tweeting at her saying, "I'm I'm burning my um, my DVDs of Harry Potter," and she tweeted yeah. back saying, uh, "Well, I already have your money, and I think that burning DVDs might give off toxic fumes. So go ahead." <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. There's a bit in the uh, uh, the Ruttles documentary, which is a spoof of the Beatles, done by Monty Python's Eric Idle, um, where people go out specifically to buy stuff in order to burn it. And the, the sales of merchandise go through the roof. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. If you hear Trump say something stupid and wonder if it's a fallacy, email us on fallaciousTrump at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at fallaciousTrump. 
If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also buy Jim's book, Fallacious Trump, online at Amazon, painstakingly researched, and smiley face with tears both sides at a 45-degree angle funny. And there's no truth in the rumour at all that it's also completely unavailable as an audiobook, not read by Mike Pence anonymously, of course. Yeah, I, I am actually working on an audiobook version of it, so that will be available at some point in the future. Um, you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump, where you can get early access to extended episodes, exclusive bonus content, including our take on Bob Woodward's book, Fear, and other cool stuff. All music is by The Outburst and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.